Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. We've been talking about the fear of the Lord. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord teaches us to, to depart from wickedness. We've been learning so many things about the fear of the Lord. And I, and I don't know, as I'm preparing this stuff, as I'm digging into the word of God, it's ministering to me. And, and I'm having things shaken out of me. So as I'm coming and sharing with you, honestly, um, I have the fear of the Lord because I don't want to say anything that's not true or that dishonors God. And I know I'll be held accountable to that. So I just would appreciate your continued prayers for me for, for, and yourselves, us, as we minister. We don't want to speak wrong of the Lord. I have the fear of the Lord. How dare I blaspheme the mighty God or speak wrong of him? I want to speak the truth about the true God. Anybody else feel that way? Okay, so um, I, I'm here on earth because of an incident in rational fear, okay? When my mom and dad were first married, they were newlyweds, and my mom was saved, and my dad was on his way, but he wasn't there yet. Uh, some of you know, sometimes a woman has more wisdom in a relationship than a man does resembles the Holy Spirit more than a man does. I'm sorry, sometimes it's just the truth. So my mom was rifling through a closet, the one by the front door, and, uh, and my dad had stashed his handgun up there and not told my mom. So she's trying to find something in the closet, and the handgun fell out and hit her in the head. And she's fine. <laughs> That's not the story. That just happened. The handgun fell out and hit her in the head. And she went to my dad and she said, can you put this somewhere else? If this falls out, it could go off. It could really hurt somebody. And he says, it's not loaded. And my mom says, you always treat a handgun like it's loaded. That's gun safety. Every handgun is loaded. And he said, it's not loaded. It can't go off. And she said, and she said it doesn't matter. You shouldn't put it up there. It could fall down. It could go off. It could hurt somebody. And he said, it's not loaded. Here. He puts it in her hand. And he goes, here, take it. Put it in your hand. Put it against my forehead and pull the trigger. This is before my dad got wise. He, 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 he's a great guy. He's really smart. He's really, this was before Jesus, right? My mom had Jesus. My dad didn't. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So he didn't have it yet. So he goes, put it against my head, pull the trigger. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, it's not loaded. Nothing's going to happen. I'll prove it to you. Put it against my head and pull the trigger. And she refused to do it. So he took the gun out of her hand and he dropped the magazine and he racked the slide and a bullet flew out. If my mom had pulled that trigger, my dad would be dead. My mom would be in prison, and I wouldn't be here right now. There is a rational fear that teaches us wisdom. And if there's a rational fear that teaches us wisdom when handling something as puny as a 9 millimeter, how dare we flippantly treat the awesome God with a lack of reverent fear, there is a rational fear of God that teaches us wisdom. You okay? That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. If I take that rational fear and I mix it with awe, you think a handgun's powerful? The creator of the universe contemplate that. 
You think a handgun is powerful? The God who breathes life into everything on earth, the God who made the stars and calls them each by name, the God who calls them out in the morning, the God who knew you before you were knitted together in your mother's womb and called you by name so that you existed, that God's powerful, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that knocked the devil to his knees and cast him to earth and will soon throw him into a lake of fire, that God is more powerful than a handgun. And he deserves our honor. He deserves to not be treated lightly. Are you with me? So this week we're going to talk about, we had uh, two weeks already. Uh, We talked about what is the fear of the Lord. We talked about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, teaches us to avoid evil. This week we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But before we do that, let's just pray that he would give us the fear of the Lord. Ready? If you're willing, just turn your hands up to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you give us ears to hear. We want to know you. We ask that you would fill us and you would change our minds and change our hearts. Jesus Christ, would you fill this room and fill these hearts with the spirit of the Lord, with the spirit of wisdom, with the spirit of understanding, with the spirit of counsel and might, with the spirit of knowledge, and with the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach me to speak right in the name of Jesus and teach us to hear right. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 1.7, if you're taking notes, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, until I've started to fear the Lord, I don't know Jack. That's why we've got a whole world full of people who have information at their fingertips and are still stupid. Because without the fear of the Lord, I don't have any knowledge worth knowing. This word, this word knowledge in Hebrew is da'ath. It doesn't just mean knowing about things. It means discernment of truth. It means discernment of reality. We're living in a world that's constantly asking existential questions. The big questions in life, the whys. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What this is saying is you can't begin to address those questions without the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what leads me into an understanding of the answers to those big life questions. And not just the whys, but the what's. What is truth? People are trying to define it all the time. In fact, we have a culture that thinks that each of us get our own individual truth, which is silliness and, frankly, not scientific. The beginning of understanding truth is the fear of the Lord. Truth is the question, the answer to the question, what is real and what is not real? If I don't have knowledge, I can't answer what is real, what is not real. And I can't answer this very important question, who gets to define these things? Who gets to define what truth is? Who gets to define what reality is? Who gets to define the purpose of life? Knowledge has all of that wrapped up in it, and the Bible says The fear of the Lord is how I begin walking down that path of understanding those things. No wonder we have a really confused culture. No wonder we have people who are inventing things all the time and saying, that's my truth, what's your truth? Because if we don't have the fear of the Lord, we're grasping at straws, you'll never get it. It's a constantly moving target. I'll never understand it until I begin with the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I wanna know something. Anybody else wanna know something worth knowing? If I want to know something worth knowing, I've got to start here. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 says this. My son, 
daughters, people, folks, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, God, I want to understand. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, Lord, understanding is like a prize. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. There you have those two things connected. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and right there again, the fear of the Lord, if I understand the fear of the Lord, I find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is key to unlocking these life questions, is key to understanding not just the life questions, but key to understanding God. Biblical knowledge is not just knowing about something. Biblical knowledge is about is knowing someone. That's why it says the knowledge of God. Biblical knowledge is not just knowing facts and figures. Um, a, a lot of people can quote scripture to you, but they don't know Jesus. There have been people all through the centuries who have known the word of God and could quote it to you, but don't have a relationship with God. It's not just about knowing stuff. It's about knowing someone. Watch this, Proverbs 1, 28 through 29. This is uh, speaking of fools. The Lord's speaking to fools. He says, when they cry out for help, I'm not going to answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. Why? Why are they not going to find me? For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. Do you notice this? Look, watch this. The fear of the Lord is connected to knowledge and knowledge is connected to finding God. The fear of the Lord is connected to knowledge, and knowledge is connected to finding God. Knowledge is not about knowing something, it's about knowing someone. And unless I have the fear of the Lord, I haven't started down the path of knowing that someone. Do you see that? Now this is Hosea. I'm going to read you two different, uh, two different translations because I want, to see, I want you to see how they're translated differently and why. This is in the New King James Version. You've heard this before, but think about it for a second. Through this context, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ah, this makes more sense. This makes more sense when we apply it to our current culture. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests for me. Did you know that we're called a kingdom of priests? And if we reject knowledge, we can't priest for God. We can't help people connect with God if we reject knowledge. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I want to I preach a message on the fear of the Lord and how it makes us tremble at his word. Because we've forgotten the law of our God, I also will forget your children. Oh, dang, that's bad news. That is really, really, really bad news. Have, have you ever known anyone who destroyed their life because they had a lack of knowledge? Because they just did dumb and wouldn't stop? Because they chose not to stop dumb? Now, this is how this is translated in New Living Translation. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. It's not just about knowing stuff. It's about knowing the living God. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, 
I refuse to recognize you as my priest. The fear of the Lord is what positions my heart to choose to know God. If I don't position my heart in the fear of the Lord, what I'm saying to the Lord is, I choose not to know you. I choose to know something else. Are you guys okay? You're pretty quiet out there. You guys all right? Biblical knowledge is not a compendium of facts and figures. It's a deep personal knowledge of God rooted in the fear of the Lord. Biblical knowledge is not a compendium of facts and figures. Biblical knowledge is a deep-rooted understanding of who God is, which shapes my understanding of everything else, gives me the ability to position everything else in its right place. What is truth? What is real? It's even easier to understand this when we look at the New Testament word, the Greek word for knowledge. Um, I'm a word geek. I can't help it. If you're not a word geek, I strongly encourage you to start geeking out on Hebrew. Start geeking out on Greek. When you're reading the Bible, compare it in four or five different translations. And then go back to the original language and begin to see what did that really mean? Why is it translated these different ways? What, did the, what was it actually in Hebrew? What was it actually in Greek? Now, this word for no in the Greek is weird because it doesn't just mean to understand. It means to have an intimate relationship with something. In fact, it's a euphemism in biblical language for sex. Knowledge is not just about knowing something. It's about knowing something so intimately, it's like, euphemistically, sex. If your children don't know what that is, I apologize for the necessity of you explaining that later today. I want to show you an example. You remember when Gabriel, the angel, was talking to Mary, and Gabriel was telling Mary, you're about to be pregnant, and you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And she doesn't freak out. She's amazing. She has one of the coolest heads in the Bible. It says, then Mary said to the angel, this is Luke 1:34, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. That's that word, genosko. I do not know a man. Now, is this saying, in my entire life, I don't know a single human being that's a male. I've never been introduced to one. I, I've, I've not had the opportunity of making a male's acquaintance. No, that's not what this is talking about. Because making the acquaintance of a male is not what makes you have babies. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's not shaking hands that does that. <laughs> There's a much more intimate relationship that causes a person to have children. People have accused us over the years of not understanding that and having as many children as we do because we don't get how that happens. But contrary to popular belief, we actually do know how that happens. My wife and I know each other intimately. That is a euphemism for what you do to make babies. Did you just say ooh? How do you think you got here? <laughs> Jennifer, nice to meet you. Oh, I see you're expecting. <laughs> I thought mom had the talk with you already. We'll talk. <laughs> okay, it happens again when, when uh, Angel, uh, not Angel, Joseph is thinking about divorcing Mary because he finds out that she's pregnant and it wasn't him. 
So he's thinking about quietly divorcing her, and he's having a dream. And in the dream, Gabriel speaks to him, and Gabriel explains to him that she is actually about to have the Son of God, the child of God. And so in Matthew 1, 24 through 25, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Did not genosko, genosko her. Is this saying he was not introduced to Mary until Jesus was born? No. Is this saying he did not make her acquaintance until Jesus was born? No, this is saying he did not have intimate relationship with her until after Jesus was born. This is, this is the knowledge that the word is talking about when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is an intimate, deep knowledge. Now watch this. This is Jesus speaking, okay? Anytime Jesus says something this profound, like everybody around him would get their, get their I don't know, I, don't, I was going to say pin, but they didn't have pins. Get their, what do you call those things, the feather things? They'd get their, yeah, that thing out. They'd get their scribbler out. They'd get out their tablet, their clay tablet or whatever it was. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. Now, when Jesus Christ says this is eternal life, you go, oh, wait a second. Let me write this down. This is eternal life. Watch this. That they genosco you. It's the same word. It's the exact same word. This is eternal life. That they genosco you. Just this is a hint. He's not talking about sex this time. That would be super weird. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a deep, intimate relationship with God. This is eternal life that you deeply, intimately know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is a really, really big deal. Because according to Jesus, I don't have eternal life until I know God. And according to Scripture, I don't know him until I have the fear of the Lord. Is it even possible to have eternal life without the fear of the Lord? Do you see where I'm going? This is important. This, this brings a whole thing home. Watch this. This is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is Jesus talking again. And what he's saying is, not everybody who calls me Lord is actually saved. Is that surprising? There are some people who think that everyone's going to end up going to heaven. I, I hope that's the truth. I would like that to be the truth, but this is what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Well, then I want to know what the will of the Father in heaven is. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? Those are all good things, right? Then I will reply to them plainly, I never genoscoed you. I never knew you. And this is scary. Away from me, you evildoers. Did you know that not knowing God is evil? Does that shake you a little bit? If you're feeling a little shaken right now, that's called the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Maybe I do know him. I was kind of afraid I was going to hell there for a second. 
You're good, Sandy. Now, Jared, on the other hand, (laughs) it's not mine to judge. I don't know. (laughs) The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God. And without knowing God, I can't have eternal life. This is a really, really big deal. I have a question. Is it even possible to love God if I don't fear him? You know, there's a lot of Christians that say, I love the Lord, I love God, but they don't actually respect him enough to order their lives according to him. Is it possible to love a God I don't fear? Because if I don't fear him, do I know him? In other words, if I don't fear the Lord, the God I think I know is not a real God because I don't know the real God. I wonder if there are Christians all through the church, one of the reasons that the Western church is so jacked up is because we say we're loving God, but we've actually fashioned a God after our own imagination. And we've fallen in love with this God we made up. We made him up for our own comfort, and we say, I love that God. I hear people say this all the time. The God I know wouldn't do this. Maybe you don't know the real God. The God I love wouldn't do this. Maybe you don't know the real God because the God I know can do anything he wants to and he doesn't have to consult you because he's almighty, almighty. Can I love someone I don't know? Okay, so um, uh, when I was in in college, my senior year, I had to take a, a big lecture hall class at the University of Texas. So there's probably 400 students in there. It was huge. And, and uh, every day when I had that class, I'd come in. I had a big break. I'd go into the gym, and then I'd, I'd come out, and I'd go to this class, and I'd sit down in the same spot. And about 10 or 12 rows in front of me, every single class, this girl would walk down the aisle, and she would come, and she would sit. This, the same seat every time. And the first time she turned around and look at, looked at me, I felt my heart go, 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 go. She had this, she had these curling brunette locks, big brown eyes. I didn't know it at the time, but I already had a crush on Jennifer, whom I married. And so every time I saw a brunette, I was, I was kind of struck with this brunette. So she looked at me and she smiled and I was like, what'd you say, sweetie? I know. I... Every time a door-to-door salesman comes that's a redhead, I'm like, we're doomed. (laughs) She's a sucker for red hair. (laughs) So I actually dated this biker girl who is a brunette, cigar-smoking brunette, because she reminded me of Jennifer. So this girl, the different girl, this girl, 10 seats in front of me, every time she'd come in, she'd turn around and she'd flash a smile. And I noticed over the, over the weeks, over the, over the class, it, it wasn't just an accident. Every time she came in, she'd turn around and she'd look at me and, and she'd give me one of those smiles. And I'm like, this chick's flirting with me. <laughs> and I began to imagine what she was like, you know. She dresses nicely. She's probably a classy person. You know, she's, she's got a beautiful smile. I, I'll, bet she's, I'll bet she's just a joy to be around. She looks intelligent. At, by this time, I was a senior in college. I've already done a lot of dating and stuff like that. And, and I, I wasn't looking for casual. I was looking for Mrs. Niece, right? So I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing this girl and I'm thinking, I wonder, I, I, I wonder if she's a lady. 
I, I wonder if she's, if she's wise. I wonder if she's intelligent, if she's fun to talk to. And I started inventing this person in my head. And every time I saw her, I'm falling a little bit in love with this person I've never met yet. So one day, I waited at the back of class and uh, stood back there until everyone else cleared out. And she waited till everyone else was gone. And she walked to the back and, and I introduced myself. And I mean, you know, you heard my story the other day, right? So it's like, first I got to make sure I don't have any poop on me anywhere. <laughs> That's how I lost my last girlfriend. <laughs> so she, so she, she comes up. If you didn't hear that story, you got to listen to the last fear of the Lord one, okay? So she comes up, and I say something classy, something smooth, like, hi, my name is Zach. <laughs> and she tells me, I'm Victoria. And I'm like, Victoria, that's the queen of England. <laughs> like, she's named after the queen of England. She's got to be classy, right? There's got to be a high-class girl. She's named after the queen of England. We start walking, and I'm talking with her, and I'm asking questions. She's a sophomore, you know. Uh, we're getting along okay. But then I ask her, so what do you like to do? And I kid you not, she goes, I like to party. <sighs> and my heart goes, You know why? Because I'd already been to the party. I'd already done the party a whole bunch of times, and the party was dumb, and that's not what I was looking for anymore. And I realized in one moment that the person that I thought I loved, the person I developed this affection for, I didn't even know her. Take that, Victoria! Take that, Victoria! Yeah! You low-class strumpet. <laughs> we do this all the time. We concoct an image of another person we don't even know. I love John Wayne. You've never met John Wayne. You just saw Hondo. You don't know John Wayne. I love Chris Evans. You don't know Chris Evans. You just saw Captain America. You don't know if you love him or not. We do that to God all the time. I love God, but you don't know God. Have I invented a God and thought to myself that I loved him? Watch this. I want to show you something. This is kind of scary. Maybe you've seen this in the news lately. I'm not going to read it to you, but have you heard of the Sparkle Creed? Okay, there's, there's a reason that I'm not going to read this to you, and the reason is because I think there's some stuff in here that's really blasphemous. Um, it was written for Pride Month in 2021 by a queer Church of Christ minister, and it's used in some Lutheran churches, some Church of Christ. I don't know, maybe some of the Methodists use it. I know they're leaning in some of those directions. But the Sparkle Creed was, and I completely understand. Listen, people need a God who knows them and who understands them. We need comfort from God, but if we're not careful... We create in our minds a God that doesn't really exist, and then we call him God. So the Sparkle Creed does things like call God non-binary and, and calls, calls him they because he has plural pronouns. He's got a fabulous tunic and two dads, and he pours out a rainbow spirit on everybody, compares the church to an AIDS quilt. I want, to, I want you to know something. The fear of the Lord doesn't invent convenient fictions about God. Amen. 
And I completely understand it. Because before I was saved, I really wanted God to look like me. I really wanted to, to create God in my own image. And human, humanity, we do it all the time. But I can't come to God on my terms. If I did, he wouldn't be God. I would. So the world has to come to God on his terms. And what does that look like? What does it look like to fear the Lord? I want to show you another creed, okay? By the way, this is called, this is called a vain imagination. And in 2 Corinthians 10.5, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we cast down imaginations. Those things that we make up about God, we cast them down. Every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Because those vain imaginations exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. I'm saying this is true about God, and so I don't come to know him because I think that thing I made up is who God really is. So I never come to know who he really is. The word vain means there's no substance to it. It means it's worthless. It's not true. The word vain means conceited and pride. In my, in my vanity, I create in my imagination a God that looks like me. That's called an idol. And that keeps me from knowing the true God. I want to cast down every vain imagination. Everywhere that I've tried to twist the truth to make it look more like me. Now I want to show you a creed that's weighty. This is the Nicene Creed. It was taken from the Apostles' Creed, which is written in 140 A.D., for 100 years, the bishops of the church worked over the wording of this. 100 years, they worked over what their understanding of God was. They finally came to a, a, a final version in 325 AD, but I want you to know they combed over every word, diligently seeking the truth, making sure that they weren't saying a single thing that wasn't true about God. You know why? Because they didn't want to know a God they were making up. They wanted to know the true God. And they wanted to give the church a creed that would lead them to the true God. And because they knew if they said a single thing wrong, they would answer to God for it. That's called the fear of the Lord. And there is no creed for which we will not answer to God. This is the Apostles' Creed. It's the only ecumenical creed accepted authoritatively by the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, and the Protestant Church, which means it is accepted by the worldwide church. If you're a Christian, this is what you believe. Ready? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. I want you to recognize something. That sparkle creed didn't say a single thing about the cross. Didn't say a single thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Didn't say a single thing about the sovereignty of the Lord. All it did was create an image of a God that was like the person who was writing it. It was a fiction. This is not fiction. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, 
according to the scriptures, and ascended to heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic, that means universal and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Why is this so substantive? Because it was written by men who feared the Lord. Because it was written by men who wanted to know who the true God is and wanted their children and their children's children for posterity, for eternity, until Jesus comes back to know who the true God is. They chose the fear of the Lord because they wanted to know the one true God. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Listen, I don't just want to know about God. I don't want to just know facts about God. I don't want trinkets. I want Jesus. I want knowledge, intimate knowledge of the most high God. I want to know what his heart beats for. I want to know what he hates so that I can set my affections against it and hate it. I want to know what he loves so I can set my affections towards it and love it. I want to know the mind of Christ so that I can uh, submit my mind to his thoughts. I want to know him. I want him to whisper his secrets to me. I want when I wake up in the morning and open the word for it to jump out at me so that the one who enlightened that word will enlighten my heart because every single revelation from God is like treasure to me. I would rather hear the voice of God than win the jackpot. I want to know God. Do you want to know God? This became the passion of Paul. In Acts, he was known as Saul before he was Paul, and maybe you remember this. He had invented an image of God in his brain that was like him. Saul was going around following this God. He thought he was worshiping the one true God, but the God that he'd invented in his mind was a God who was petty and merciless and murderous. And so Saul was going around arresting believers, men, women, and children, and having them killed. The reason was because he thought he knew God, but it was a vain imagination. And in his worship of this fictional image of God, he was actually working anti-Christ. So he was killing Christians. So Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest a whole bunch of Christians, and he's on a donkey, and he's got some servants with him. And for the first time in his life, God shows up. And when God shows up, he hears a voice from heaven that's so loud and so powerful that it knocks him off his donkey Some of us need to get knocked off our donkeys. Some of us need to fall off our donkey. He heard the voice so powerfully that it blasted him off his donkey, and he saw a light come from heaven that was so bright that it scalded his eyes and left scales over his eyes. And a voice from heaven said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How would you like to be called on the carpet by the Almighty? What the heck do you think you're doing? Why are you persecuting me? And listen, the very next words he says, Who are you, Lord? (laughs) 
You know why he said, who are you, Lord? Because this is the first time he'd ever heard the voice of God in his life. He thought he, was, he thought he was serving God, but he was serving a fiction. He thought he heard the voice of God, but he'd heard fiction. He didn't know God. So when God finally spoke, he didn't recognize his voice. He'd never met him before. He didn't know him. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus Christ, who you're persecuting. You know that, that Saul didn't speak for days. When Saul finally did, he submitted his life. He repented and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. His eyes were healed so that he could see, and he changed his name. He didn't go by Saul anymore. He went by Paul. You know what Paul means? Paul means humble one who got knocked off his donkey. <laughs> Paul means humble one. For the rest of his life, Nothing compared to the knowledge of God. For the rest of his life, there was nothing he wanted more than to know this God whose voice he had finally heard. This is Philippians 3, 7 through 11. He says, this is, this is Paul speaking. Nothing else mattered to him. Listen to this through a new light. Through the light of someone whose heart has been ruined for everything else through the light of a person who doesn't want anything else. The light of a person who's tried everything else. And all they want now is to know God. They've been confronted with the fear of the Lord and it changed their wanter, their desire. It says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming, even if it means I've got to suffer. He know, he, you know what he knew? There's some things you don't ever come to know unless you walk through the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus. You will never know God unless you're willing to suffer with him. Americans are allergic to pain. And every time we're in pain, we think God's not in it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, even if I need to have pain in order to know you better, I want the pain. Because I want to know you better becoming like him in his death, even if it kills me to be like him. So somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This is the passion of Paul. Is this your passion? Does anybody in here want to know God like that? And if not, is there anybody in here who wants to want to know God like that? I want to show you my life verse, okay? This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2. And he was talking to a church that's arguing about stuff. He's talking to a church that's frustrated with each other and that has divisions. They've come to disunity over silly things, over small things, over arguments, over things that don't matter. And this is what he said to them. He says, for I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is my cry in the world. I have resolved to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your politics don't matter to me. Your entertainment doesn't matter to me. Jesus Christ matters to me. 
You want to argue theology? Doesn't matter to me. You want to argue whether we picked God or God picked us? I don't care. I want to know Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in arguments with people. I want to know Jesus Christ. People who have this cry in their hearts, you know what they get? They get the fear of the Lord. And when they get the fear of the Lord, they get to know Jesus Christ. Because everything else has become garbage, and this has become treasure. Throughout history, this has been the, the cry of the truth seekers. I want to know God. And throughout history, this has been the response of the one true God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing me. People of God, are you willing to have your mind blown? Are, are you willing to have all of your preconceived ideas consumed in the fire of the glory of God? Are we even willing to have our politics and our theologies and our philosophies laid up on an altar that won't give them back to us? That'll destroy them and consume them like flash paper. I want my mind blown. I want the eyes of my heart melted and blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know God? The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.